some odds are comforting. At other times, circumstances in life cause us to feel like the odds are stacked against us. Daniel's faith gave him strength in a really uncertain time in history. And I can learn from that. My faith can grow from studying and applying the lessons that he learned by faith. So we're going to go over to chapter 10. Let me give you some final background on this. Um, I'm looking squarely at the book of Hosea. That won't get me there. What? Daniel 10 is where we're going to be most of the day. Now, last week, we studied a fervent prayer that he prayed of repentance on the behalf of himself and the entire nation. It was really a great study for me on uh, how to craft that kind of a prayer and how to pray that kind of a prayer. Um, in response to that prayer, he gets a visit and a message from the angel Gabriel. Can you say you've ever had a message from an angel right after you prayed? I, I'm not sure that I can. Daniel can say that. Uh, and so in chapter 9, he gets a response. Literally, while he's still praying, the angel comes to him. What a wonderful thing. He um, begins to affirm what he had um, uh, prayed about, and then he begins to talk to him. Uh, the angel gives him a message from God giving him a, a prediction of some things to follow. This kind of 70 weeks and this 77s and those kinds of things that are, that are dealing with. Those, those are very cryptic, and there are lots of different ways to interpret that. We won't go into that today. But suffice it to say that a lot of that that is yet to come, that, that the angel predicts, has to do with what's yet to come in the Messiah's activity when he will come and later on. So we can be comforted by that and know that the future is in good hands, in the Messiah's hands. Now, as 10 starts, as the verse 1 of chapter 10 starts, it gives us kind of this chronological note. If we can interpret it right, then the year is either 537 or 536 B.C. It's right in there in um, the third year of Cyrus's reign, who was a Persian king. Um, and it's going to be two or three years after the prayer that he prayed in nine. The exact nature of the revelation that Daniel is going to receive in this is not exactly provided in the text, but it really concerns him. It's about a war that's yet to come. And in addition, um, he gets all of this vision uh, in, in kind of... Um, in vision form, in a message. And he also gets an understanding of it. Now, it upsets him so much that Daniel goes through a period, if you look with me at 10, 1, and 2, let's just read it here real quick. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he had understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Now, there's some, sometimes when it's not the understanding that perplexes me. In fact, it's the things I do understand that disturb me the most. And so look at his response. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I didn't eat any tasty food, nor eat meat, nor wine, nor did that enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. So imagine for 21 days, a guy that was typically pretty sharp and pretty together is not eating very much. He's, he's uh, 
only surviving. He hasn't shaved for 21 days in a row. He's looking pretty, he's feeling pretty bad, looking pretty bad. He's really worried about all this. So if you've ever gone through a period of worry, uh, Daniel's your friend here, okay? Um, we don't know the reason for his mourning. We can conjecture some things. But then beginning in verse four of this chapter, he describes a vision that he had on the bank of the great river, on, on the Tigris River. Uh, there, a powerful figure appears to him and while the figure's not identified, most suggest it's probably Gabriel coming back to him again in keeping with his vision in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. Uh, the men who are with him don't see the vision, but they're scared anyway, and they leave. And Daniel's left. He eventually uh, falls, look at verse 9. He falls into kind of a, a deep sleep. I heard the sound of his words, and soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Now, Rhonda can tell you that most movies that I pay 10 or whatever dollars for, I sleep through. When I sit, I sleep. Because I move pretty fast all day. But I've never fallen asleep on my face. How about you? That's where we pick the story up with Daniel in this sound sleep on his face, but it's a troubled sleep. Steve Blair, can I get you to pick it up right there? We're going to start verse 10, and if you'd read the, the next, actually read on down through 14, would you? Remember the TV show, Touched by an Angel? Who was the star? Del Reese. Who else? I'm trying to remember who else was on that thing. Was that a Michael Landon thing? Was it? Okay, he was, okay. I, I don't remember much about the show. I remember watching it. I remember it was, it was, it was very uh, kind of uplifting. Uh, but can I say something to you, by the way, that's going to sound a little bit kind of half a bubble off, but follow me anyway. Um, you can talk to almost anybody about angels. But I don't understand it, you know, how uh, kind of the Oprah theology and all that includes angels, but Jesus is off base to talk about, okay? Just be aware of that. Now, we're going to talk about both here today, but here's an angelic visit, and you could literally say that our hero, Daniel, was when he was sleeping, he'd been put to sleep by this vision. Not that he was bored with it. It was upsetting, perplexing to him. And he just kind of falls asleep on his face. And the angel comes and touches him and wakes him up. He's been touched by an angel. Okay? Uh, now, the, a voice had led him to this deep sleep. And the touch of a hand had wakened him. Now, it reminded me, if you want to go back there, I'll, I'll read it to you, but I've been working in my quiet time through Ezekiel. And in the second chapter of Ezekiel, a similar thing happens to Ezekiel. Um, I'm going to read the first couple of verses of chapter 2 of Ezekiel. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak to you. And he spoke to me, as he spoke to me, 
the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So um, we're going to have a similar thing here where the angel's going to touch him and say, stand up, because he's got something really important to say to Daniel, and he knows that he's not going to be fully awake until he's standing on his feet. Uh, you can't be groggy through this. This is way too important. Now, what you need to understand, and, and I don't know all the detail on this, but I know enough, Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries. It is likely that even though they lived at the same time, they had a similar job, they never met. Where did Daniel live? In Babylon, but specifically in Babylon, he was a courtier. He was a prime minister. You remember that? He hung out in high places. By comparison, Ezekiel's lot, his plight, was to be the preacher to the exiles. All of uh, their countrymen who were in exile in Babylon. And it's, it's, some commentators will say that even though they said similar things, did similar things, lived at a similar time, as was Jeremiah to a certain degree, that Ezekiel and Daniel never met. I find that really intriguing. These two great preachers, these two great prophets that, whose paths just didn't cross because they were on, uh, kind of had different roles. Now, if you look at verse 11 that, that Steve read for us, the angel says to him, stand up, but it's clear in context with what he says that this is, and here's what goes in your blank, this is a commendation, not a rebuke. Okay, when he says, stand up, he immediately addresses him in commending ways. What does he call him? First, he knows him by name, right? And he calls him what in verse 11? A man of esteem. He said, you're highly esteemed. Uh, turn back a page or so. Look at 827. Uh, you've got this setup here. Um, uh, a similar touch takes place here in chapter 8. And when Daniel is finished with that, he is wrung out. And so he's getting another touch here. You see, if you see 827, then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision. There was none to explain it. So you've got an, another, um, a similar vision here, a similar touch that takes place. But at the end of that, he's just kind of worn out. No wonder he's kind of, if, if you read here in verse 11 in context, he's kind of fearful. So, so the uh, angel comes to him and he says, uh, don't fear. Now, go with me if you can. I want to go go left to a couple places earlier in the Bible. I want us to go to Judges 6 and to Joshua 7. Who'll get Judges 6, 11, and 12? Karen, you get that one? Judges 6, 11, and 12. And I want somebody else to get Joshua, which is the previous book to Judges, 7, 10. You get that one, Ellie? Joshua 7, 10. Okay, I want to compare when angels show up to talk. They don't always commend. Sometimes they rebuke. Okay, um, Karen, are you there at Judges six? Yeah. 
Go ahead. This is to Gideon. Verse 11 and 12. Well, wouldn't you love it if a nine-foot guy that seems to be pretty special would say immediately, one of the first things he says to you is, you're favored. You're a mighty warrior. He says that to Daniel. You're a favored one. Now, angels don't always say that, okay? Let's go to Joshua at a time where Joshua's going through kind of an interesting time in his life. And uh, Ellie, would you read Joshua 7, verse 10? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up, why is it that you have fallen away? <laughs> Literally, he said, Get up. Get up. Uh, get off your face, he says at this time. And it's kind of a rebuke. Now, this is a guy, it's a really good guy. Joshua's a really good guy. He's a mighty warrior, too. But they're. So you kind of got this idea. Now, I put a reference here to, to Luke 1. How does, he, how does he initially, how does the angel, this is probably the same angel, how does, how does he initially address uh, the maiden Mary? Hail thou who art highly favored. That's a similar reaction or a similar greeting that he gives to um, to uh, D Daniel here. Yet with all of this going on, as you kind of scan verse 10 and 11, what's Daniel's mood? That, say the word, Julie, you got it. Trembling. Trembling. He's shaking in his boots. Isn't it interesting? He's had a couple of rough encounters with an angel. Not because the angels didn't like him, not because, because they didn't respect Daniel, not because they didn't acknowledge that he was, he was mighty. He was a prayer warrior. He was a great leader. But because the stuff that they were telling him was really, really troubling. And here we go again in, in the uh, verses following uh, Daniel 10. Now, so Steve kind of kept us going here on to verse 12. I'm going to go back and read verse 12 for us to get us kind of back in the stream of things here. So we're back in Daniel 10, verse 12. He says, Then he said to me, he the angel said to me, Don't be afraid, Daniel, for from this the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. Now, he begins with a part of the message that the angel always says, it seems like, don't be afraid. When I was a kid, my dad in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, knew every policeman in town. Okay? And so my dad worked at Field Brothers, at, 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 you know, hauling... Um, products to the oil field from, from uh, that old gas station there, but next to it was Fields Restaurant. If you, if you were back in the day and traveled down old, old 77 to go to Dallas for the OU Texas game, you probably stopped at Fields and had a piece of pie, but um, 
That's my dad worked in the, in the service station in the corner, and um, and he knew all the cops in town. But I was definitely afraid of him. Was that was that your experience? When I was a kid, a guy in a uniform scared the water out of me. I mean, it's it like, and dad would talk to him, and he, he, dad would say stuff to me like, "Go ask him if you could snap his pistol." No, dad, I'm not going to do that. You know. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be somewhat, okay, a little more healthy if we had that healthy respect of those in, in authority today a little more? My guess is, my guess is that Gabriel, the first lesson in Angel College, the first lesson in Angel College was when you encounter a human, the first thing you've always got to say to them is don't be afraid. Okay, lesson one, and then they went back to school the next day, and the professor said, okay, guys, what did you learn yesterday? And he said, we learned that anytime you encounter a human, you got to say, don't be afraid first, because they'll be afraid of you. So he encounters this here, and he says to, to Daniel, don't be afraid, and he then uh, kind of tells him some really, really important things here. But basically, he is, he is affirming, I think, a message that he has previously given him and his, his tenacity toward that message. So the angel, when, he, when he's talking here to Daniel verse 12, he's either talking about a series of dreams and visions, which go all the way back to chapter 7 and 8. He starts getting dreams from the Lord through the angel back in 7 and 8, and Daniel's been perplexed and been kind of driving away at that all that time. So it's either that or it is Daniel's response to the message in chapter 9, which has been very troubling that we've been talking about. I tend to think that's probably what it is, is that when he's trying to reassure him here, it has to do with Daniel's response to the message that he had just received. Uh, his response there in, in chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. But we got to kind of come to terms here. Daniel's not being criticized by the angel What's his spiritual condition when we get to chapter to verse 12? Think about this for just a minute. Daniel's faith is strong. He has been he has lived nearly 70 years in captivity. He's lived more than 70 years, but 70 of it almost have been in captivity, and he hasn't given up on God in all that time. And the angel's reaffirming this. He's assuring this. And he acknowledges here, verse 13 and 14 are really intriguing to me, so stick with me here for the next three or four minutes or so. In verse 13, he says, but, okay, you've been dealing with all this, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to help you through this. But he says in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was with, withstanding me for 21 days. So the idea here is this prince is a minion of Satan. We're talking about a demon here or one of Satan's angels. This is a very interesting kind of part of this story. I put several uh, verses, references to Jesus' words where he talks about Satan being the prince of this world. Okay? So uh, probably here we're talking about 
um, I'm going to guess, since he says it's the prince of Persia, he's not talking about some human. He's talking about a, an angelic being, a, a demonic being, a spiritual being who is in charge of a region, okay, in charge of a region of the world, and he has been working in opposition to the Lord's real messengers. For how long? 21 days. Is, is that coincidental to you? How long has Daniel been sick? 21 days. Catch that irony. It's not ironic. It's connected. Okay? Daniel's mourning has been going on. His sickness, his worry has been going on for 21 days. He's been praying for 21 days straight. He's hardly eaten. He hasn't shaved. He's been so perplexed with what's going on and he can't see his way through. And when the angel finally touches him, he says, I've been trying to get to you for three weeks. Look at the second part of verse 13 and into 14. Who shows up in the middle of verse 13. Michael. Okay, now what you need to know, by the way, there's a guy that just accepted, pray for him. This will be an easy way for you to remember. There's a, there's an, uh, a baseball player that came to MACU this year um, who's from the Dominican Republic, and his name is Archangel. When they pronounce it, it doesn't sound like that, but that's his name. Michael is an Archangel. Uh, this Dominican player, by the way, just accepted Christ a couple of weeks ago. And we're working with him to try to get him disciples. Just pray for Archangel when you think of it. But Michael is an Archangel. He has been held off. Um, he hasn't been there. Gabriel's been trying to get to, to Daniel to give him a message. But he's preoccupied with the prince of Persia, this spiritual being who's thwarting, thwarting God's every purpose in the region until Michael shows up. Michael is a warrior angel. Another spiritual being, but a tougher spiritual being. I wrote in my notes, he's bad in a really good way. Look at 12.1. Now at that time, Michael, here, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. You know that God has angels that watch over you? When my son was about 21, he was in college. Uh, it might have been sooner than that. It might have been when he was about 19. I can't remember if he was in high school or college. I just remember he went through about a six-month period when his angel was worn out. He went, went skiing with a friend down at, at Lake of the Arbuckles, and um, he's... Uh, a tow rope wraps around his leg and pulls him under, drags him for a long time. He could have, as easy as, and there was, there was not a spotter in the boat. It was just him and a friend. And uh, he could have drowned as easy as not. He was at the old um, uh, fairground. This was in the same period of time. He was at the old fairgrounds arena um, as an intern with some of the youth here. And uh, he's, he's looking over here, sees a friend across over here, and he jumps over a railing just to clear the railing, not realizing it was an exit ramp. Falls like eight feet on, on ramped concrete, 
messes up his feet for a while, his back didn't hit his head. His angel must have been exhausted when he was 19 or 20 years old. Do you know there are some Michaels out there that are working on God's behalf? There are some that are, that are uh, doing battle on your behalf. So, Michael shows up after that 21-day period and things begin to change. And so, beginning with verse 14, the angel says, now I'm going to show you the when. I'm going to add to the what that I've been talking to you about. I'm going to show you some things about the future. It's one thing to know what. It's another thing to know when. And so what chapter verse, uh, chapters 11 and 12 are going to tell us of that. Now, let's go to verse 15. Cindy, would you read verse 15 down through 19 for us? And we'll close this out. Daniel goes kind of back, he's back in kind of a sleep. And this is not um, the same kind as before. This is not the deep sleep he was in again. He's just kind of overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed in such a way that he can't speak in response. You ever been there where you're just overwhelmed? Either overwhelmed with joy and you can't talk, overwhelmed with fear and you can't talk. I had a, I had a morning this week where I was headed to a very important meeting and I had a kind of an incredible time with God. And... Um, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, don't let the president ask me to pray in cabinet meeting this morning because I can't get through it. And he didn't, and I was okay. But I, just, I would have been a blubbering mess. I, I was, you know, writing notes and praying along and agreeing, but I would have been a blubbering mess because I was just overwhelmed by God's goodness in my life. Daniel's overwhelmed here in a different kind of way. And he can't speak. So he once again receives an angelic touch. Now, interestingly here, Daniel, you got to remember, is elderly. And this is the fourth of five times he's been touched by an angel. In this, I put the, the other references there. He's going to be touched again in verse 18. Now, notice also, I want you, want you to catch it in verse 16 as, as Cindy read it. When he says, when he calls the angel in verse, um, in, in, in verse uh, 16, when he calls him Lord, notice it's small l. Be, be careful here. That's an important distinction. At least in my Bible, it's small l. When he says, my Lord, that's just a term of, of um, authority. It's a term of respect. He's not talking to God here. He's talking to an angel. But he asks him for help. And in verse 17, he pleads for additional strength. He says, literally the description is, he's gasping for air. He asks for a second touch. And he's given, in verse 18, another physical touch from an angel who's acting on God's authority. And he says to him things like, you're not alone. 
the Lord is with you, and I'm here. Basically meaning God is still in control. You know what? There are times when I just need to hear that. Lord, wow, things are not going the right way. And he reassures me in one way or another, I'm still in control. Well, when you're asking for strength or courage, what is it for? Can you think just for a minute? When I'm saying, Lord, help me to have the strength to, help me to have the courage to, what's the fill in the blank? I find it interesting, verse 19 here, Daniel is given the strength to listen. He's worn out, he's exhausted, and he's given the strength to listen. And the angel says four things that he really needs to hear in verse 19. You looking at it? Really important. He says to him again, don't be afraid, right? Remember, that was he learned that in angel college. Don't be afraid. He says, I, I wrote in my notes, you're okay. It's more than okay. Daniel, you're good. Uh, boy, wouldn't you love to hear that from an angelic being? Hey, pal, you're God's man. That's what Daniel hears. And then he hears the word that you and I so long not only to hear, but to experience. Peace. Shalom. Be strong. Daniel's not strong here. He's strong spiritually, but he's very weak physically. And he says, be strong in the Lord's peace. Now, I begin to think this week, uh, before we leave the book of Daniel, what, for instance, chapter 10 and chapter 11 in the book of Daniel cost Daniel so that you and I could read it and study it on Sunday morning, the 4th of January, 2018. It cost him a lot. I, I, I kind of think about that because in our day, the availability of the Bible is mind-boggling. Just the sheer, I bet if we pulled it, we'd have maybe 10 different translations or editions of the Bible in here. Um, we have various kind of bindings, various print size, color coding. We've got electronic versions. Bibles are available uh, for all the major software platforms. And of course, right here in Oklahoma City, the version has, my guess is most of us have got version on our Bibles. I've got one called the Blue Letter Bible that I just love because it gives me so many other helps besides just reading whatever translation I want to read. We got all that. But that kind of an availability of Scripture is indeed a blessing, but it can produce some less than desirable attitudes. It can cause me, and here's what goes in your blank, it can cause me to become complacent. And I dare not, I must not, become complacent about the Scriptures. Uh, I, I must not be kind of lulled into this complacency where I've got 12 versions of the scriptures on my shelf, but I never pick up one to read it. Uh, Daniel had a struggle to communicate God's word. 
He wanted to get it right. He received God's word through visions and dreams that begin in chapter 7, and they left him as an elderly man nearly unable to function. The knowledge of God's word, which eventually became the written scripture that you and I hold in our laps today, or in our hands, or on our tables today, that scripture left Daniel trembling and almost unable to function. So what do I do with that? Is it silly for me to say to you, love God's word? It's funny to me. At 62 years old, I love it more than I ever have. I don't know, it's because I need it that much more. I think that's probably part of it. It's funny that the more I know about it, and the more I know it, the more I read it, the more I want it, the more I desire it, the more I just kind of love to be with it. Is it crazy for me to say to you, as you're falling in love with Jesus, fall in love with the word that reveals him. Okay, that's not enough. Let me go one more step. Read it. By the way, if you'll read it, you'll probably fall in love with it. Okay? Read it. I'm going to be bold and do one more. Okay? Memorize little bits of it. You know? Memorize little bits of it. Um, if you've never done that before, Start with John eleven thirty five. 35. You can memorize it right now. You ready? Jesus wept. Now that may seem silly, but it's actually a really important thing that he did right there. Look at it in context, you'll understand. Memorize it. Read it. Let it kind of take over your heart. You'll be surprised at the level, the quotient of peace that enters into you if you'll just take that little bit of advice. 